0: A podcast one
1: production. Hello, my name's Gary Meegan and welcome to A Plate to Call Home, where we explore the unknown stories behind the food that we all love. I often see Janine Ellis walking her dogs at my local park and we always have a quick chat. And I thought it would be nice to get her into the studio and find out a little bit more about Janine. Her approach to food, her approach to the business of Boost Juice, where it all started, the pitfalls along the way, and of course how she balances all of that with a crazy life running a company and taking care of her family. I also wanted to find out more about David Bowie, who Janine got to hang out with on a yacht. Talk about lucky. Have a listen and enjoy What was food like when you were growing up?
0: Look, my mum was a a very much a classic cook as in she grilled meat and boiled vegetables. And so I could not have been brought up with more plain food. And then on Friday nights we had fish and chips. I mean my mum we didn't have much money. So mum had to really budget for the week. So like every single Monday was the same, Tuesday was the same and then Thursday or or Wednesday was roast, and then Thursday was the rissoles that she made from the roast. Like it was, so every we I knew what I was getting every single day of the week. Are
1: they are they benchmarks in any way in terms of flavour? Because you know, like your mum's roast chicken. Yeah, doesn't matter. My mum would make roast chicken, and mum, I hope you're not listening, but you know, the gravy would be lumpy sometimes. It would be runny other times. The chicken would be overcooked, undercooked, crispy skin, Mm. soggy skin, all of the above. But for some reason. It it's a benchmark in my mind. I okay, go, that's delicious home cooked chook. Yeah. So where did you grow up?
0: Uh, Baronia. Uh, Noc- well, originally Knoxville, which was actually semi-rural at the time. Now it's not, but then it was. We had a you know dirt road, and a, it was a it was a ten square meter little tiny. It was there was four kids uh, house, and I used to remember hearing the clip clop of the horse with the milk. I mean, that's how old I am. <laughs>
1: Clip-clop of a yeah. horse with the milk. he used
0: to deliver the milk. And I thought it was so clever. I mean, seriously, it's so clever. The ho- You know, one person, labour's expensive, right? One person, the horse just walks up the road and he just grabs the milk and he used to deliver the milk in the front row. So
1: it was in bottles every day or?
0: Every day. Every day it was the milk. Do you remember delivered.
1: what he looked like?
0: The horse or the person? No, I don't know. No. The milk man? No? No, I just used – actually, I remember thinking it was really calming. You, know, you used to wake up and you hear the clip-clop. It was really And you got really the milks
1: cool. coming. What were you like as a young girl? Can I ask you that? What were you like uh, as a kid? Were you popular? Were you most popular? No. Were no, you no. most brilliant? Were you <laughs> – No.
0: Look, I was pretty average student. I wasn't super smart. I was pretty good at maths. Um – Yeah, look, I was just pretty much normal. I was smack in the middle. Certainly, certainly not the smartest, but I went to a school that only went to year 11. So it didn't have a year 12. And in the area I lived in, no one went to university. So it wasn't even a contemplation of, hey, leave school and go to uni. It was leave school, get to work. You know, so I was 16 when I started working as a secretary.
1: What did your mum and dad do or what did your family do?
0: Uh, mum stayed home. So she was a, you know, she was really a 50s housewife. That's what she was. Um, and well, luckily. Uh, and my dad was a sort of middle management working for a, a factory called Fibre Makers in Bayswater. So he was in, you know, he was there.
1: And did you have grandparents around when yeah, you were I, younger?
0: Yeah, I did. You know, my grandma, my mum's uh, mum was very involved with, you know, sometimes mum would say too involved with our
1: lives. And so, how did that materialise?
0: Oh, Good, yeah. She, she, in in um, us going on holidays and she always came with us and mum went, oh, you're coming with us again. Oh, good. Oh, dear.
1: So when you were a kid, terrible. But now I suppose when you look back, you'll remember those days fondly. So what set you free when you left school? and?
0: Oh, look, the, the key thing for me was I was never the girl with a lemonade stand. That wasn't me. So, for me, it was uh, the the sense of adventure. So, pretty much from the day I started working was about saving enough money to actually travel overseas. And so, at 21, that was when I had a backpack on my back and, you know, no mobile phone, no internet. I said goodbye to my mum. Told my mum I'd be back in three months. Came back seven years later, the two-year-old. That's another story. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, off I went and just had, you know, just went on an adventure. But, you know, dumb, naive, you know, there was – I didn't know – I was so sheltered. I brought up this little life.
1: So did you have a plan where you were going to go?
0: (laughs) No, I I had a plan. But My first plan was um, I had already booked in to be a camp counsellor for the San Francisco Girl Scouts from Camp America. So I had a plan for the first three months. So that's why I told my mum three months. I was there. And, you know, for me, you know, where I grew up, there was no one of any other colour than white, right? So there was no everyone else but heterosexual. It was so, I was so sheltered. So suddenly I'm in the San Francisco Girls South, so they're all lesbians. And I'm going, wow, okay. And suddenly these kids are, you know, from, from all sorts of backgrounds and there was, um, you know, they were, there were some that had blind, some that were deaf, some were. So suddenly I was thrown into this wonderful world of diversity. It was fantastic.
1: Oh, it changes it changes everything. I remember my mother, my mum went to the States before I was born, before I think she was engaged to my dad, came back and go, no, engagement's off. You know, I've just seen the world and I'm going back out. Is that how it felt for you? Did you, you know, because you you touched down in San Fran, what a different place to Baronia.
0: (laughs) It was a
1: bit. Can you remember remember a moment?
0: I mean, there were certainly times in my travels that you've had, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here right now. You know, I can't believe I'm at the Monaco Grand Prix with, you know, with Robin Williams, you know, he had moments like that. But I think with San Francisco, it was just more, I was so excited. It was one step forward and go, right, I'm here. But I'm sort of that sort of person. I am I sort of take it and go, I don't get shocked with things. I just sort of take it and go, okay, I'm here now. What am I doing? That right. was nice. i got to learn. Like
1: Monaco, Monaco Grand Prix with Robin Williams. Like <laughs> you just threw that in there. What was that? What was going on there?
0: Well, you know, I so I, so I did my big travels and, and I let l- my life take me on a journey instead of me planning. So I didn't go, right, I'm going here next time. You'd come up with, you'd meet someone and then you go, okay, you want to go to Copenhagen? Sure, we'll go to Copenhagen. Yeah, so you did that. But I found myself after uh, some time of travel, completely broke. South of France, bro- broke, had $40 to my name. That was it. I already cash my ticket home because that was an intelligent thing to do. I had already, um, I'd had $2,000 worth of credit card debt and kind of went, okay, that's fine. And at 21, you go, oh, it'll work out. <laughs> so, you know, I had a short shorts on, I had a backpack on, went to a pub, said, oh, how do I get work here? Because, you know, I'm <laughs> a bit poor. And they said, oh, look, there's a boat for a stewardess on uh, in a place called Villeneuve Bay. And they said, you yeah, know, knock over there. And so I, I rocked up, spoke to the captain, um, told him I had all this experience in Melbourne because, you know, clearly it's a huge yachting industry in Melbourne, I'm not massive. And uh, six weeks later, David Bowie bought it. So, for the next two years, I'm hanging out with, you know, a, a real a real deal rock star and, you know, and all his mates. So, so
1: stewardess on a boat owned mm. by David Bowie. Yeah. Did it strike you that that was fairly cool at the time or?
0: Yeah, it was when, when they said, <laughs> oh, by the way, Bowie's just bought it, we went, cool. And it's funny, you know, because you meet him and you and you, one of the things you realise is that people are people. And just because you're on TV, or just because you're a rock star, or just because of of all the things that people think that you're, they you immediately think. And I grew up thinking that movie stars were special people. You know, there's the people, and then there's people. And you know, Bowie was you know special. But I think once um once you get to know him, he's he's just as much flawed as anyone else. And so I remember him coming up to me and he said he was he was really nervous. And I said, yeah, it's all good. Is everything good? He goes, well, you know, I've I've got they were they were filming the film Do Rotten Sound Scoundrels. With um, Steve Martin and Michael Caine, and they were coming on the boat for a boat warming, and he was really nervous. And I'm going, "Mate, you're a rock star. How can you be nervous?" And you sort of you have all these aha moments of, "Oh my god, that's right. He's just human." And you know, it was it was probably the one time after a year working with him, he was warming up. He had a he had a band called Tim Machine. I don't think it did much, but it was it was something he was passionate about. And he he was warming his vocals. And he was singing "Space Oddity." And I must admit, I remember specifically washing dishes because, yeah, that was what I did and looked up and went, oh, my God, that's a Bowie, you know, because so, you, you then went, oh, that's right, that's, he's that rock star, not that really nice guy that, you know, is, is lovely to me, you know, it's, it was bizarre.
1: Who else was on the boat? Who were the crew? Uh, well,
0: the, the crew was the, there. Was eight of us, so it's oh. eight crew. And then he had, you know, he was obviously a really good friend of Mick Jagger, so he that was probably his best mate. And they, we went to the Caribbean, and so that was sort of where they. A lot of them had their houses, and so you know, and, and Mick Jagger was a lad, you know, he was, you know, Jerry Hall. He would come on, and well, actually, he wouldn't come on because Bowie didn't like her, but he would come. We'd come off the boat, and then you know, Bowie would talk about you know how good women are to sleep with it play piano you know <laughs> it's just bizarre but it was fine. but david at that stage was 42 he had a beautiful son called joe and he'd gone he, he the years of you know sex drugs and drugs and rock and roll were well behind him so he was just a, a great middle-aged guy
1: don't start saying that don't blow the you know perception out of the water that i have i go if you could live a life you know david bowie or mick jagger or keith richards Oh, yeah. You know, that's that's a life lived three times, four times over, yep. isn't it? Yeah. The reality for you on that boat, do you do you remember it? Was it long hours? Was it a oh, yeah. Was it a difficult job? Was it a?
0: It wasn't necessarily a difficult job. I mean, look, there was times on the boat that you know, at one point we thought it was sinking. Another time there was a, fl- a fire in the engine. There was things that you go, oh, this 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 could go pear shape, but it was it was long hours. So we'd ha- we'd work for three months without a break. So it wasn't. But you just. You know, with life, you just do it. You're on the boat, that's where it is. You, you know, you, you're with the crew and you're with them all the time. But you, you're going to see you know, beautiful places like Portofino and Sardinia and you know, you're going to the Cannes Film Festival and you, you know, you're having a great
1: time. We all know you for Boost Juice. Was that a pivotal moment where you went, I know what I'm going to do?
0: Oh, look, I, I did know what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to work for anyone again. So that was probably what I did. I had three children at this stage and, you know, Riley was, I don't know, five, five months old or whatever and we wanted to um, start our own business. And Jeff was in radio, so he was working in radio and I was on maternity leave. And so we tried a few things. We tried touring comedians, didn't make much money. We tried publishing, you know, some our
1: own checks. Now, hang on a minute. Touring comedians. When When's that a good idea? I'm just asking, like, do you, there's a lot of comedians now upset with me. I oh, know. But is there a point, you're sitting at the table, you're, you're brainstorming ideas, and you go, "What about touring comedians?"
0: Well, I was a publicist, so right, I mean, okay. okay, that so, puts it
1: into perspective. So I
0: was a publicist, <laughs> so I, you know, so I can work publicity, and and Jeff was in radio, so we thought, okay, we've got these branding skills, uh, and then there's this guy we met that said, "Look, I have contacts to with." Eric Idle um, from Monty Python, I've got you know, Seinfeld, Robin Williams, I've got all these contacts. We went, okay, so we paid him a retaining fee to get us a comedian to then tour. We thought we could do that. I mean, I'm, I'm one of these people that don't know enough to know what I can't do, So, which is great. Naivety is fantastic. So so we um, six months later we paid him what, 80 grand or something, We money we couldn't afford, and he got us a guy called Bob Smith, had no one heard of. It was so desperate to start. So we got Bob Taking Smith. <laughs> so we took anyone. So we didn't make any money. So, you know, we tried a few businesses and then it was actually on a trip to America. I went, oh, I love the category of juices and smoothies. And at the stage, you know, the people were just getting unhealthier and fatter, and we thought. And there was nothing as a consumer to go out and eat to get anything that was healthy. So for me it was like a big aha moment. And not that I was the extreme of, you know, uh, health necessarily. Yeah, you know, I, I was young and I like to have a good glass of wine and yeah, you know, but I certainly, but I still wanted to have that healthy choice. So really, come back to 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 Australia with zero idea and, and of knowing how to start a business, and there was no real internet back then, and just so. Got when started. are we talking?
1: Late nineties.
0: Yeah, yeah, late nineties. And then just got started, and then just wrote the word business plan and started.
1: And where did it start?
0: It started first. Store was in Adelaide. So we, uh Again, very good question. Why would I start a new concept in another state I've never lived? Good question. Um, I could tell you smart things like, you know, the, if you know, it's, a, it's a smaller market, you sample can actually store. control. Yeah, sample store, yeah, all those. But the reality is um, Jeff happened to be in Adelaide. He found a great site and went, this will be good. Got his father who lived in Adelaide to sit in front of it and count how many people went by and went, this will work for us. We went, okay. We had no idea. We are just winging it, trying to work it out as we went. And, you know, it was just sheer passion, determination and learning quickly on the job.
1: Do you, how did the smoothies come about? Did you test those? Did you bring someone in, a development team? Did you, how did that work?
0: Well, it just, you just got the ingredients and went, okay, well, you know, first and foremost uh, from the American market, I looked at what type of ingredients they used. And things you had to consider like, um, you know, when you're in a 18 square meter kiosk, right? Unlike a big restaurant, you've only got so much sp- so much space in a freezer, and so so I could only limit it to so many ingredients. So knowing that the ingredient ingredients I had, I'd go, okay, well now what do I want to create? And it was literally with the blend a blender, a blender, I love a blender, a blender, uh, a blender, and playing. I just played. And I, just, and I just tasted things, yep, I like that, let's add a bit of that, let's add a bit. And then you go, okay, well, now I've got a mango magic happening, uh, which has got, you know, mango and banana and, and yogurt in it. And then I went, oh, that tastes pretty good. Then you go, all right, what else am I going to do? Okay, let's do a berry range, all right, what am I going to do in berries? All right, let's do juices, okay, what do I like in juices? And so it really started, and even today, 80% of the menu is what I started with.
1: And what you like,
0: and what I like, and so I, I so I must just be a very average Australian with flavour. <laughs> You've
1: done pretty well. I'm just putting it out there. So how did it go? Did did Adelaide go brilliantly, or was it a up and down for a while? Like.
0: Well, look, yeah, you know, I, so I started in summer, so I, and I didn't know at this time there was seasonality. I just thought you opened, it was fine, and so we opened in the street in Adelaide, and it was a, not a, not the a great start. It was a terrible lease, and but we but it got us started. And I think sometimes you can be analysis paralysis, and sometimes you just got to get going because that's when you're really learning. So yep, yeah, opened the first store. Actually, the first store was funny. We um, opened eleven o'clock in the in the CBD, and seriously, fifty people walked in. I went. Oh, Wow, this is no marketing. This is awesome. How great! And there was a bomb scare, bomb scare next door, and there was nowhere else for people to go. They just hid. They were just they, they came. They came shop. into us, and so it was great. So, so but with us, the, so I go back to Jeff's Skills. So Jeff's Skills in radio. So he had you know strong contacts with the radio station. So I was at five o'clock in the morning taking smoothies in and wheat grasses in, and and then creating you know, your first database to email people because email was starting to really sort of you know be the norm. So it was just really matter of just keeping at it and just
1: at it. When did this thing surprise you beyond all your expectations? Was was there a this time we just went. How did this happen?
0: Yeah, I think. Um, I, look, I think I, I'm the sort of I'm very hard on myself, so it's never good enough. So for me, I've even today I don't feel like I'm there yet, you know, because there's always something you can do better. There's always somewhere somehow you can improve. But I think the time when I thought that the the capability of this brand was incredible was when we uh, opened one in a shopping centre with. So so in other words, with a lot more traffic flow, and the, you know that we just were blown away by the, the amount of sales, and then we had to really work on assistance to be able to service that many people so quickly.
1: And things that you did that you never knew you had to know, you know, how to multiply stores and was this all just organic or?
0: Totally organic. Totally. So you've got to remember I came into business with zero Knowledge. No, I didn't know the difference in debit and credit. I didn't know had I never hired anyone. So every single step, and I, but I, and also people had invested. There was a whole lot of Jeff's mates that invested into the business. So which I took that really seriously, and so I was on my mission. So I did a business called called Boost Juice, and so every single day, I would fail. And then I would create a system to make that system work for the business going forward. So I was okay with failing once. I wasn't okay with failing twice. And so every time something went wrong, I made sure I worked it out. And I asked questions. I bought people coffee. I did whatever I could to learn what I needed to. And in actual fact, though, I must say, naivety played a huge part of our growth because I took on things... That a normal human wouldn't have taken on, like so. For example, Jeff was doing the leasing, so because we're with his radio job, he was all over the, the country. So he came home and said, "I have twenty. Le- I've signed twenty leases, right?" And you, as you know, with leases, yeah. right, it's. I'm having a heart attack. I've got, you're saying it. I've got liability now of more than more liability than it would take five lifetimes to to clean up, right. And, uh, but the interesting thing, I went, okay, fine, we'll we'll find a way. And so I, we literally opened 20 stores in the first, probably first three years. Uh, well, pro- within probably 18 months, we opened those 20 stores and you just got going. But the but the reality was the brand took off. We had, you know, 100 people on a waiting list to get a boost juice in franchising. You know, 7% only were successful if they applied because, and which enabled us to get amazing people into our
1: network. And the thing that you now, a portion of that success to, what was it? What was the thing that people hung on to with Boost Juice?
0: Yeah, I think that uh, I always approached it as customer first. It was always customer-led. Like I, to a point where I was, you know, I was thinking, well, how do I grow a business and still get that great customer experience in every store? So I put a sign in every store saying... This is a service you should get. This is the experience and if you don't get it, let me know and I'll fix it. So, and it was a reminder for the staff, it was a reminder for the franchisees, it was a reminder for us that the customers first. So, simple things like um, we have a 24-hour reply policy. So, if you complain or come back to us, we embraced any sort of feedback. So it was all customer led. So it was, I always approached this business as a customer. What do I want? And if things go wrong, what do I expect as a customer? Well, I expect a free one. I expected, sorry, I expect a lot. So I just always approached it as that way.
1: I never complained at a Boost Juice. I don't remember. Always ordered a Banana Buzz as well. Did you? <laughs> yeah, always. Banana Buzz, is that right? Mostly I just go and go, I'll get a Banana Buzz. I remember opening Phoenix in 2000. That was in Richmond. And then they opened the the um, shopping centre, yes. Victoria Gardens, yes. there was a boost just in there. Yeah. And so I would be calorie deprived, which is hard when you look at you, – you can't <laughs> believe it looking at me now, can you?
0: <laughs> no, and i doesn't.
1: just go in and go, give me a banana buzz, and yeah. quick, fast, and I thought, what a bloody amazing yeah. idea. You're and very you're, clever.
0: Oh, look, very I, clever. I look, I work hard.
1: I know you do. Was there a point where you thought – has there ever been a point in the business where it's not gone all – of course. As well as yeah. it should have done. Of course,
0: there's no such thing. We well, just as wanted
1: it. to throw it in and go, no, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. Too uh, many zeros on things.
0: Isn't, doesn't everyone have moments that you go, I don't want to play today. Yeah. You know, right? There's times when I, I, I'm a mother of four kids and sometimes I, I don't want to be a mum today. I've, I'm done with it. <laughs> Same with business. I mean, sometimes you just go, like, I don't know about you, but you find that the moon goes into a certain orbit and every single phone it's call. at The vortex, vortex a yeah. void, right? And everything that happens for that day or for that week is bad. The deal that nearly came off fell over. You know the employee that you love left. Like it's all these things, and then another week goes by and everything's a win. So you just have to ride the waves. Like our business is roller, It's a roller coaster. You know I don't want the merry go round. I want the roller coaster because that's far more, more exciting. And yeah, sure. In um, yeah, so we went from zero to in four years, hundred twenty stores which was you know which was you know great and scary considering you now know my level of expertise <laughs> and um and so in 2004 we had more competitors we had like there was fifty, sixty juice bars wanting to get in the market. I mean, how hard is it? This girl can do it with long queues. How hard can it be? And so we had these. Um, uh, so we had a lot of competitors, and then consequently, with the competitors came people. You know, they didn't know that they didn't follow the rules. Like as we know in the food industry, there are rules you have to follow. Uh, one of them is is um, health claims, and so you can't say, "Look, eat a eat a steak and it'll cure cancer," right? You can't say that, and uh, not that I think that can that can happen. Um, and so, but a lot of these juice bars are coming in and saying, oh, yes, it does this and does this. And so, because we we're the largest one, whenever there was anything negative, we got tarred with that brush. So, we and then, then we got the current affair coming in and going, right, there is sugar in juices and it's evil. They she said it was good and it's evil. And it's like, yeah, mate, there's a sugar in carrot. Guess what? There is. And you know what? There's we have choices. We have, you know, things that has got as much calories as an apple to sure things that have got minus calories as a Mars bar, right? We've got choices. And so you, and when you hit your core essence, which is, I feel good about myself for choosing Boost, you know, things started to go down. And so what do you do when things go bad? The first thing you do when things go bad is your point. It's not my fault. It's the government. It's the current affair. It's all of these people. But the thing that I learned when things went bad was the biggest weapon you can have is actually the mirror. And what I realized was in those four years, we grew so quickly that our service had dropped you know, our, we weren't as friendly as we, we thought we were. The stores weren't looking as good as they were. Our communication wasn't so good. You know, I hadn't hired enough people to grow. So as soon as I actually learned that lesson, uh, things things started to turn because it was always my fault. So it was always attacking yourself first was was probably what I learned. And so even now when, you know, back then I, you know, I was rocking quietly in the corner working out how the hell am I going to solve these problems? I look back now and go, that, that time was invaluable. And, and so There's not one thing I would change because all the negatives, and there were so many negatives, actually made the business what it is today.
1: How how did it go from being the healthiest? Because everybody went crazy for juice, right? Mm -hmm. Went for that, you know, that's my five serves of fruit and vegetables that I need a day tick in one, you know, cup to having the pointer finger at, you know the finger pointed at you and saying they're now bad
0: well it was obvious because obviously i'm so emotionally connected to my brand that i was first and foremost mortified that like how dare you just pick up one element and do that because we have all of our products go through nutritionists we you know i i am an absolute stickler with every single raw ingredient making sure where it comes from what's in it you know no artificial anything so i was personally affronted that they were saying that and, and then you go, well, how do I defend myself? And then it was hard to have a voice against something so powerful as, as something on TV or the press. And so what you do is you first and foremost, you look at yourself and you go, oh, right, how do I go, do it better? Is, is there any sort of merit to it? And so we got a professor, professor in and we said, okay, create us products that there is, there is indisputable that everyone would say it's the best thing since sliced bread. So we did that. We hired a scary lawyer. And we you know, went to a current affair or we went to the TV station. and said, well, actually what you said was actually misleading and actually not correct. So we actually attacked ourselves, but also attacked the problem. So you can you actually- You stood up for your brand. Correct. You stood up for your brand. And you know. And I think you need to be noisy. And I think in, in the marketplace, you see people do that really poorly and you see people do it really
1: well. Is it motivated? Is there a bit of you and your thoughts on nutrition, your idea of eating healthily, uh, your idea of what you grew up with, for example, mm. that is expressed through- boost now?
0: It's all me. It's all me. So I believe in, um, you should be, like, I I think I'm probably the healthiest I've ever been in my life. And, and I firmly believe that if you do most slings as healthy as possible, you're okay. But those 20%, 30% isn't actually, it's okay to have chocolate. I mean, we've got one right now. It's a cookies and cream smoothie right? Sure, it's got banana and thing, but there's a freaking cookie in there and it's cream. It is fattening, all right? It is, And it's de- decadent. But I believe in choice and I don't want, I think we're in a society now where it's political correctness gone mad. And so I believe that my son, who does exercise every single night of the week, can have anything he wants, right? But at least everything he has in our products has an element of a, a wink to help whether that's a banana, whether that's probiotics or whatever it is. So at least it's natural. But if also if my mum is is, you know, who can't have the calories that someone else, there's Pure Edians, there is some beautiful products that can be for her. So we have everything from the absolute purest, it's like a Pure Eden or a two and five, to someone who wants just to be a little bit naughty. And so when you ask me the question, is it part of me? Yes, because that's what I am. I don't think we should be so stuck on, you know, we're on paleo, we're on this. I think just simply eating as close to nature as possible. It's not that hard.
1: So if you can compare, because when you started, what was available was not boost juice or fresh juice, it was soft drink. Yeah. And kids were downing that. So it obviously upsets you that people go, wow, it's just as bad having a boost juice as as a a soft drink, because there's no comparison. One's fresh and wholesome, it the other one...
0: It completely pisses me off. Like they, there was one time they compared us with a Coke, and I went, "Oh yeah, sure. I'm sure the as, as I'm sure the CEO of Coca Cola would give his son or daughter a Coke in the morning. Guess what? I would give my daughter a boost in the morning without question. So yes, when you look at one element which they do, which is just sugar, then sure you go, okay, it compares. But what about the probiotics? We need that. What about the potassium? What about the vitamins? What are the minerals? What about you know the biggest issue that we have in the society is we have empty calories. Most of what we eat isn't food. You know, you pick up a packet and you look at it and there's, if there's words you can't pronounce and letters and numbers, that's not food. So I think it's just going back to my, my upbringing, just eat food.
1: See, one of the things my mum said, you had three meals a day and nothing outside of that. And we had fish and chips on a Friday, maybe once a month. So our eating was at home or in a lunchbox versus what you can eat on the street. Mm. And a lot of, I, in her mind, the problem of over eating too many calories, too many empty calories is the fact that whatever you're doing, you you can eat something. Mm. So you can go to Boost, you can grab a Boost, you can go and get a coffee and now when you put the Boost and the coffee together, you've consumed a lot of calories. Correct. And then you can go somewhere else and grab a sandwich and you before you know it, yeah. you're through the roof.
0: And a pack of chips or a Twisters or some popcorn. And, and, Which and we and never had. No, no, we didn't. And we never had I, – I did, we didn't have fast food either. So we didn't have fried Nothing I had was fried. So I think there was two things. First of all, you're right, we had breakfast, we had lunch, we had dinner, that was it, we're done. Um, And nothing fried. So then you bring in KFC, which was introduced, and you get, and so suddenly, and you know what? A chip's yum. You know, who doesn't like fried chicken? You know, yum. But I think we're just consuming too much of it.
1: This is A Plate to Call Home. I'm Gary Megan. More from Janine after the break. How long have you been doing yoga?
0: About uh, 12 years. So I, when I turned 40, um, I started yoga. So I'm 52 now. So started yoga and that was probably my time when I was transformed because from 30 to 40, I had no life other than work, right? And it was just, you know, throwing myself at it. That's what I did. Because
1: that's what I was going to ask you because you've said this is the fittest you felt mm. in your life, mm. going through that hard – building your business, being consumed by it. Were you pretty unhealthy at the time, do you think, when you look back?
0: I was, certainly with regard to stress, I was. And so, you know, people go, oh, let's have life balance. If you want to have a busy business or a business that's successful, if you want life balance, you're dreaming. You know, so for me, it was 40 when the business was big enough for me to have people around me that I could actually have time to, to actually, you know, spend some time with me. And I took up tennis, I took up surfing, I took up yoga. And um, and I took up horse riding, and so I took those four things I took up, which I'd never, I couldn't have done for the the previous decade, because it was literally growing a business, and yeah, and so there was no life balance. It was just life.
1: So now your life balance is better.
0: It's better. And, yes, it and is what's better. the
1: secret to that? The secret now. Is,
0: is actually is actually putting yourself first. It's actually for also, first and foremost, um, not getting caught up in that, you know, you want the life balance. If you, you know, if you want life balance, that's great, but don't expect to, you know, as, as I sort of said to my son the other day, I said, you can have anything you want, Samuel, but if you want to work three days a week, that's great, but don't expect then to get a house, right? Or if you want five days a week, don't expect to have so much time that you have for yourself. So, there is, you can have anything you want,
1: but just care for what you wish for. Now, you've transitioned from big business and business now to being properly in the public eye. I mean, Shark Tank has been incredibly successful and, and it's sticking in there. It's doing really well. And I think grabbing more of an audience now. How do, how do you balance anything now, not just being corporate business, but now being in the public eye? Because people want to, people love you, but they, Hate you at the same time, don't they? Look.
0: Fingers crossed. Um, I've been very lucky. I haven't had any negative thrown at me. I'm touching wood. Did is you that because you're the nice one? Maybe. I don't know what it is. Or maybe I've I've learnt the block key <laughs> on social block. Yeah. Um, delete. But delete. Um, I think. Look, I don't. I think people are really respectful. You know, I you know, I have my little area that I sort of stay stay with, and I don't know anyone that has never come up to me and been rude. No one's ever. You know, a couple of pitching of businesses. From the odd stewardess, but I found people are incredibly respectful, and so and also I, I look a little bit different from <laughs> my real life than I do on Shark Tank too. So, you know people are you know people are I think people are nice, and you know what? If people want to take a photo, how how nice is that that someone even wants to take a photo? I mean, how cool is that? And if I give them two seconds of my time and they leave with a smile on their face, I mean, how bad's that?
1: That's how I look at it always. Yeah. My yeah. wife will say. Who was that? Because somebody shouted, Gaz! And I go, I don't know. Yeah. But I made their day just by doing it. So Absolutely. I can put up with the rough stuff if there's the great stuff Do you too. find
0: – do you get any rough stuff?
1: Not really because listening to what you say, I stick – I swim in my lane. I, that's how I describe it. Yeah. I do what I do and I'm – and I love what I do and I'm it, – it's all about food and it's very nerdy. And then if I feel that I need to strand something and make a comment, then I've got to be prepared to cop the flack for it. Because now if I've got an opinion – that's outside of my field of expertise, yeah. I need to be prepared to deal with it. And I'm not really. I actually enjoy living in the, the food. I, I know what I'm good at and I know what I love in life and it's all it's all food. Mm. Travel for food, food for food, the pantry. Mm. It's always calling me. You know, that's my greatest challenge. You know, so that, that's what I love doing. So everybody that I meet that feels the same way is a pure pleasure. So if I've changed one little thing about, you know, it could be the guy holding the stop sign that goes, Mate. I got on the barbecue on Friday because I was watching. That just makes my day. It's gold, isn't it? And it, and it beats all the negative stuff. And I just swipe left, which yeah. is delete, yeah. if I see something that's – or check how many followers they've got. Yeah. Six. Sad. Or Delete.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, do you have people – like I, I was at the park once. And Hang on a
1: minute. You're asking no, me. I've got a go, question. Go, go. I've, always, go. I've
0: always wanted to know this question. So I was at the park once and we were having a chat about our dogs or whatever we are talking about. I thought, ah, oh, they're a nice come. My, my husband was talking? And, they, and I thought, how could you ever ask you over for dinner? Because you would, oh,
1: uh, because it's you the, would
0: have no friends. No, you would put, have no friends that would go come over for dinner. Being oh God! For
1: and it's and it's interesting, isn't it? Being cooked for. I don't. My expectations. I, I remember going. I've been to lots of people's. You know, people invite me around for dinner, and they make apologies previously. The pleasure of sitting down and someone else cooking for me is just. I love it. You know, I think back to my mum and the fact that she cooked everything fresh and my granddad who was a chef or just the pleasure of going out to a restaurant Mm -hmm. and eating beautiful food. So I don't mind what it is. And it can be overcooked, undercooked, you know, burnt. doesn't really matter. Never criticise it. And actually I never – even when I go to a restaurant, I never criticise the restaurant. I go, you know what, they're doing what they're doing. They're probably doing the best. And I only ever give feedback if I think they genuinely want to hear it Mm. and they want to fix it. Or it was something that, you know, yeah. they, they should know because it's dangerous, yeah. for example. Yeah. You know, that's the only other time. Otherwise, I just, yeah, I, I, I'm i very accepting and very tolerant. And actually, I going out with Matt and George is quite funny sometimes when we go to a restaurant because I go, guys, you're so critical. Where's the experience? I've just loved this evening. I've had lovely company, you two boys talking about food all night. We've had some delicious wine, some great food. And you're talking about like the minutiae of, <laughs> you know, Flavour profiles in a sauce. Get a life.
0: But don't you think that's what happens when you get older? You actually see the good, not the bad. You actually see that you're grateful for someone cooking for you or you are instead of going, oh, God, the front door had a bit of paint coming off it, instead of going, oh, my God, that waiter was so friendly. Well, I think you've got a choice.
1: I don't know. Maybe for you, you're you're at a good space in your life and, you know, you're practising yoga and you're walking your dogs and riding your horses. Other people just get grumpy. I no, think. It's a choice now. Yeah, it's a choice. But I, I get grumpy now. I get grumpy in the morning. Like, <laughs> seriously, sort your shit out, Janine. Early in the morning, but later on, Janine, that's fine. <laughs> that's, that's how it works for me. And I'm allowed to be grumpy. I see a little bit of my dad in me, and he's often grumpy, and I, I think it's quite funny. What's your greatest weakness?
0: You know what? The thing is for me is I am so flawed, right? And it's quite funny is is when you said before the question you asked, which is when people come up to you and go, oh my God, Janine, you know, because of you, I started my own business or you're so inspirational and you nearly want to go, no, no, no. You, no, I'm not. I'm seriously not. Like I can barely cook, you know, heat heat a cooked meal, right? And and so because you, you know that you're flawed, I think that's actually what's great about being older, older is that you've become a continued student and yeah, you know, what can I learn from you, Gary? You know what can I learn from you? and and there's, and what can I learn from not just you, but from my son? or and once you realize once you get to the age where you realize that you don't know everything, it's that secret of art of not knowing. It's when the life, your life actually opens up because that's when you actually have your ears opening, and your lips together, and you really start to learn. And so, yeah, you know, so I think just being knowing that you're flawed and knowing that but being happy about it,
1: so where's Boost Juice going?
0: Where, look, where uh, are you going? Where am I going? Well, I'm, yeah. I'm still trying to work out what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. So for me, look, it's an interesting thing when you get older because not not that you know when you get older, um, because you go well. Hang on, I've climbed that Everest, and the Everest is still to become. I'm just at base camp. So there's obviously still more to, to happen with Boost with you know, growing, continuing to attack ourselves. We're looking about opening the America soon. Um, we've got a number of other brands that we're working on, but that's sort of the business side. So for me. Um, I'm still working out what I want to be when I grow up,
1: you know. So it's not a case of build it and then retire. You no, can't do that. No, you'd no, ju- no. You'd just be painful. Oh,
0: my God. I can't retire. No, I actually think that actually if you go back to my weakness, I think one of my greatest weaknesses is actually the inability to do nothing, right? I am bad at it. In actual fact, not that I haven't got i – I'm not one of these people that get the blues, but if any time I get a bit, oh, is what I haven't got, I'm not manic,
1: so too much time to think, is that
0: Yeah, yeah. And so the thought, Yeah, you know, I do yoga, right? But someone said, "I'll oh, come and do some meditation. I go, nah, I'll yeah, sit down and think about brain. all the things I need to do. So that's probably my greatest weakness is my ability to stop.
1: And you've also got a podcast. Yeah, I have. On podcastone. I have. Com. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting used to saying that now. So. Oh, nice. And what is it about?
0: Uh, look, it's called Superwoman We Ain't. And the reason it's called that is that I always think that there's so many 10 tips of success and it's actually not. This easy ride, and so me and this gorgeous girl Margie just, you know, basically talk about all the challenges of of starting a business, but not the fake stuff, but the what it's really like.
1: Oh, so some nitty gritty.
0: There is, and it's it's real and raw. We talk about things that go wrong, and we talk about things that go right, and we talk about all our flaws. And I'm sure there's probably a long list of things in there you can pick out of of all the things that I'll I just own. ignore them.
1: <laughs> okay, so, right. flaws. I don't know what no, you're talking about. Not me. That's someone else. Look forward to seeing you around the park. Well-balanced life, that's what I'm after. And, in, and walking the dogs. And it's I like meeting people that walk their dogs because it's nice. We have something in common.
0: We do, and our dogs like each other. Yeah. Your dogs are the only ones my dog doesn't eat.
1: Yeah, and it's good to get out for an hour and walk the streets of the neighborhood. Janine Alice, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I was thinking about tips and tricks, and of course, smoothies. What do I know about smoothies that we haven't talked about already with Janine? But I did think of something. Instant ice cream. And it was actually Matt Preston that gave me this recipe. And I've got all sorts of chefy recipes that measure the amount of sugar which guarantees shelf life and softness and texture and mouthfeel. And I'll tell you what, if you make this, you're going to love it. Take half a kilo of frozen berries, let's say raspberries, add half a cup of icing sugar into a food processor or blender. You add an egg white and hit go. And what happens? It starts to blend. You might need to move it around a little bit and then it will start to go nice and creamy, stays frozen and you end up with the most delicious raspberry ice cream or sorbet. You're going to love me for this one because I tell you what, late night snacks will never be the same. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Zwolenski, audio production is Darcy Thompson and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for all the research.